Welcome to Finish Well Radio, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Hey there, welcome to Finish Well Radio. I'm so excited that you're with us today. And we are going to talk about how to make history more fun by throwing a party. Yes, it's true. So fasten your seatbelts. We're going to have a fun ride. And I hope that you get some really creative ideas to use in your home school because you know my philosophy. History should be fun. Learning should be fun. Homeschooling is a grand adventure, and I think we should enjoy every minute of it. So with that in mind... Welcome. Now, if you know me, you know that I love history, and I even pick up history textbooks, and I read them for fun. I know I'm a total nerd, but hey, I admit it, so you know, no one will talk about it behind my back, but how about you? Do you love history? You know, not every teen is born loving history, and not every one of my children, I have five children, and not every one of them loved history. And so I looked for ways to bring history alive because I remember one time I was having my quiet time and I was reading in John 13 and it said, and Jesus knew where he had come from and where he was going. And so, and then it goes on and it talks about how he washed their feet And I thought about that, like there's something about knowing where we've come from that is so significant. And of course, we know if we love Jesus, if we belong to Jesus and we've received his gift of salvation, then we're going to heaven. So we know where we're going, but where have we come from? And that will actually make a difference in our lives. So history is a big deal. But I don't want my kids to say, Oh my goodness, this is so boring. A bunch of facts, a bunch of dry information, memorizing dates. I don't want history to be like that for them. I want it to be really fun. So in our house, we did things like we read tons and tons of historical fiction. We're really big readers in my house. We read things like Anne of Avonlea when we studied the turn of the century and we read Ivanhoe when we studied the Middle Ages and we just read tons and tons of awesome books and we had such fun doing that. We also made timelines because I'm a big view person and so I love to see, oh my goodness, this person lived at the same time as this person and this was happening here and oh, I, oh wow, these events are related, you know. It was at a timeline when I finally realized, Wow, the fall of Constantinople is what caused the Renaissance because there's Medici in Florence and he's rescuing all these priests and scribes and bringing them to safety in Florence. And so, wow, light bulb moment. And it was just seeing that on a timeline and getting it. And so that has been something that I love. We love making timelines. And my friend Laura and I, we make our own timelines and we have so much fun doing it. And she's made these gorgeous figures. Anyway, so we've had a blast doing that, not just the kids, but the adults. And then I love to use maps because there's something about where things are going on that helps everything make sense. 
and you know you can see how closely related things are or maybe what kind of land they would fight over like a lot of countries boundary lines changed all the time like germany and france there's an area between those two countries that has been french then it's been german then it's been french then it's been german so it's very interesting to see all of that when you look at maps and also photographs i love to look at pictures of people and places old paintings and i love that now when i started homeschooling you know the inter what i had never heard of the internet and even when i heard of it we didn't use it for the longest time but now you can find everything you can find beautiful paintings you can find photographs i mean it's just super super awesome to be able to find things like that online and then another thing that we do is we watch movies and uh, we love to watch historical movies and when we study the 20th century, we always watch TV shows that are set in the decades. So Father Knows Best in the 1950s and then Leave it to Beaver at the end of the 1950s. And we just go Dick Van Dyke and Petticoat Junction and Brady Bunch. And we just go on and on through the century because it really kind of takes us back in time to see what things were like and what they were talking about and things like that. Another thing we do is we love to cook, we love to bake, we love to make crafts. Something my children have really enjoyed over the years is making radio dramas. Now, I'm not saying that we could sell them or anything, but they are so fun to make and they're so fun to listen to. And we've really enjoyed that. And there's other things. We've done writing, we've done poetry, we've done all kinds of things. But one of the most popular things we've done in history to make it fun is to throw a party. We just look for any excuse to throw a party in my family. Oh, you're having a loose tooth? Let's throw a party. <laughs> you're having a birthday? Throw a party. You're engaged? Throw a party. So we have lots of parties in our house. And one of the things that we've enjoyed is throwing parties that are based on something that we're studying. So we've had medieval banquets. We've had archaeology digs. We've had luau's. We've had sock hops. We've had Victorian teas. We've had ancient Greek Olympics. And so we've just done a lot of that stuff, and I'm going to kind of share with you the fun. And then if you're a teen and you think, oh, my goodness, that's for babies, no. I mean, our teens love these parties, and they dress up, and we dance. And anyway, it's really, really fun. And it's really fun to create parties for younger kids, too. So um, I don't know where you're at with the whole party thing, but... It's a great way to learn about history is to throw a party. So I'm going to talk a little bit more. And if you say, is it a lot of work? My answer would be, mm, I don't know. <laughs> it can be. It just depends on who's all doing it and who you're working with. Because, I mean, I think every party I've thrown, I've done with my friend Laura. And so our families, between our two families, there's a lot of members. And we all kind of work together. And then there's always been other people who jump in and help. So I've never just thrown one on my own. You know, I've never just decided, except a Victorian tea. I've done that on my own. But I've never, all the others, like we did a Passover feast and things like that. And so I've always worked with a lot of people and delegated a lot of stuff out. So I'll talk about that in a little bit. But how do we learn history by planning a party? Because you're kind of thinking, what? And if you're an extrovert, you're like, oh, wow, that sounds so fun. I really like this idea. This sounds really awesome. But if you're an introvert, you think, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do this. So if you're an introvert, just hang on and listen. If you're extrovert, I'll give you all the ways that you can do it. 
So what we do when we throw a history party is that we first research because what we want to do is create something authentic. Now, of course, we can't travel back in time and, you know, we can't have the exact kind of clothing, but we try to duplicate stuff. So it's different from everyday life. So we dig deeper than normal to find out what they wore, what they ate, what they did, where they did it and why they did it. So I'll give you an example. When we planned our ancient Greek Olympics, we learned that the original Olympic Games, which were a form of worship to their idol gods and idol goddesses. And so they opened every day by committing everything to one or more of the idol gods or the idol goddesses. So just to give you a little background. So in ancient Greece, it wasn't like Rome. Rome was this big empire. But in ancient Greece, there wasn't really an ancient Greece. There was all these little countries that were Greek. So there was Sparta and Athens and Iconia and Ithaca and all of these little nations that were Greek nations. And so all of them together We call it Greece, but there really wasn't such a thing as Greece way back then. And they were always fighting. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, we're like the European Union. We're all one big happy family. I'm not saying the European Union is because I'm sure they bicker all the time. But the Greeks bickered all the time and they were always at war with each other. But for the Olympic Games, they would call a truce. And during the time of the Games, as people were traveling to the Games, having the games and traveling home from the games, there would be no war. And so they loved the games. And it was also kind of a time to show off, you know, like, look how great I am. And uh, but it was a time of peace. And that was something war gets old. And we have not in our nation had war hit our country since the war between the states, the Civil War. So it was so long ago. And so we don't really know what it's like. We have had some terrorist attacks, but we don't know the the horror of just being constantly at war. So it was such a joyful thing to have these Olympic Games. So when we were imitating it, we, of course, did not want to pray to idol gods, and we didn't want to pray to idol goddesses. So we opened up every day in prayer, and we would commit the whole event to the Lord. And then what we did is we learned about all the different events they did, like the running and the boxing and all of these different things. And we learned that they ran naked. Now, we decided, "Mm, I don't think we're going to do that. But we learned that that was interesting. (laughs) And then we decided to, we could go seriously, like we did have some serious fun races, like serious fun. Can you have serious fun? I think you can. We had running races that were like as close as we could to Olympic Games. But then we did silly things. Like instead of having a javelin throw, we did a pool noodle throw. So, you know, we did a lot of silly things that made it really fun and silly. In the process, we just learned about all kinds of different stories. Like we learned this one story, and I can't remember the names because this was years ago. But we learned about this woman Her son was competing and the coach had died. So she dressed up as a man and pretended to coach him through everything. And that's why after that, because women weren't allowed in those races, after (laughs) after that, that's why they made all the men be naked. So they knew that. Anyway, I probably anyway, probably didn't even want to know that, did you? So we learned a lot about 
ancient Greece just by getting ready for this. So because there's research, you have to figure stuff out. You have to learn, like, who are all these places that are coming? And that's where, you know, in a lot of textbooks, they talk about ancient Greece. And what you hear about is Athens and Sparta. But there were so many different Greek um, they called them city-states, but they were really nations. They were really countries. So um, the same thing happened when we planned the medieval banquet. We learned all about nobility and the different titles, and we learned about who would sit above the salt. And so the salt was put at a certain place, and people who sat closer to the host, they sat above the salt, and people who you know, sat further away from the host, sat below the salt, and it all depended on your rank, and everybody was seated by rank, and it was very, like, very, you know, um, the lords were below the earls, and, you know, they were below the princes, and the princes were below the kings, and so, anyway, it's very, very interesting, and so we learned all of the different titles, and we learned all, like, the various crowns that they wore, and, you know, because every crown signified what title you were. And then we learned about their banners and their crests and their coat of arms. And we made some of those things for our families. And it was really, really fun. So as we were, like, just doing these fun things, we were learning. We learned about tournaments and jousting. And instead of using swords, we decided not to kill each other. We just decided to use pool noodles. We use a lot of pool noodles in our history games, I just have to say. But, you know, they're really fun. They're really, <laughs> you can throw them. You can, <laughs> you can joust with them. Just all kinds of fun with them. And so those are just two things. For example, like the 1950s and the different music, like what music was popular in the 1950s, what, what things were going on, what fads were going on. But then what was going on in the country? Why did they call it happy days? You know, the, the 1940s were a really hard time. The war and then there was so much going on in the world after that. The World War II just led to so much upheaval around the world. So the 1950s was kind of a time to take a breath, to regroup, lots of marriages, lots of babies, lots of homes, and the suburbs, the birth of the suburbs. So a lot going on. So what is the 1950s? What does it look like? And that was what we discovered as we're planning a sock hop. And what did they wear? And what sports were the most popular? And what were people like? And things like that. So you learn a lot about history by planning a party if you want it to be authentic. Because as you're learning about the food and the activities and the games and how they dress and everything like that, there's a lot of history as to why all those things are going on. That's just how you learn history by planning a party. So here's some things over the years that we've done to learn history by throwing a party. So when we study ancient times, we've done our own archaeological dig. And with that, we actually dug a pit, a huge pit in a field. We have friends that live near a field. And so we dug a big, big hole. It was like 10 by 12 or something crazy. We actually made our artifacts. We made some art, and you're probably thinking, what? Yeah, we made some artifacts <laughs> from Babylonian times, and we made some clay pots from Assyrian times. Not the Nebuchadnezzar Babylonian times, but the ancient, ancient, like Nimrod-type Babylonian times. And then we made some Greek things, and so... 
each of those things was at a different level. So the really ancient stuff was on the bottom. Then we covered down a layer of dirt. Then we put in the, you know, the other things down a layer of dirt. And then the more, and so anyway, we did all that. And then when we dug, of course, when we found something, we had to measure how far down it was. And that would tell us, just like an archaeologist, it would give us a clue as to what time period it was from. So we tried to make it really authentic. And, you know, some of us dressed up like Indiana Jones and all that fun stuff. But anyway, it was really fun. We had a good time. And then we also did, I told you about the Greek Olympics, and we also did a Passover feast. And that was really fun because Passover is the most significant event in the Old Testament. Jesus mentions it. It is talked about throughout the Psalms. It's talked about by all the prophets. It's talked about by all the kings. And the Feast of Passover is very sacred to the Lord. So in the planning of the Passover, of course, we learn so much about the Israelites and first of all, Abraham and then Joseph going down into Egypt and eventually the Israelites becoming slaves and then Moses's life and then the showdown between God and the gods of the Egyptians because every plague actually came against an Egyptian god. Did you know that? Kind of interesting. And so then finally they leave and there's that last plague with a lamb's blood on the doorpost, eating the bread in such a hurry that it couldn't rise. And so here we are looking at this Passover feast and how it points to Jesus, who's our precious lamb. And so that was just so much more than history. It was such um, an exciting event in making the Passover life, but also the gospel and Jesus Christ more alive in our hearts. So things that we've done in the Middle Ages, we've, of course, we had a medieval banquet and that was super fun. And another thing was a morality play. They were really popular back then and pageants. Pageantry was really big in the Middle Ages and, you know, trumpets and banners and all of that just so exciting and parades and just so many neat things. And they did do a lot of plays because still at that time, the Bible was read in Latin and the mass was actually read in Latin and the most common people didn't really know much Latin. The words were familiar and they were comforting, but the plays that, that they did were originally put on by the church and they would go around from town to town and they would perform stories from the Bible and they would perform stories about saints and different things, stories to make people choose good over bad. And so they used drama a lot to teach the people. And so to put on a, a play from the Middle Ages, um, very, very neat. You'd have to do some research and and figure out what kind you would do, and uh, really neat, just a, a really neat uh, idea. So modern times, so much cool stuff in modern times. Of course, my my family and a lot of their friends love to do English country dancing, and, you know, our founding fathers did that kind of dancing. And so that's really fun when you're studying the Revolutionary War. There's also disco dancing from the 1970s. I already talked about the sock hop. Um, you could do square dancing from the Wild West. Okay, you're probably thinking enough of the dancing. I hate dancing. Well, I love dancing. Maybe you should try it. But anyway, there's other things like we did a miniature golf tournament when we studied the 1920s, and that was really fun. We set up our own, like, 
mini golf things and it it was really really cute and we of course have done so many luau's we love luau's you know hawaii is just so fascinating it became our 50th state in the middle of the 20th century and america just became fascinated with hawaii and that you know hawaiian food and having luau's and dressing hawaiian and things like that so um hawaii hawaiian luau is is a really fun thing and you can easily go to a party store and get so many decorations this past year i always have my birthday at the beach but it was really bad weather so my friend Laura and my daughters got together and they planned like a impromptu luau. They planned it in like three days, but they just went to the party store and it was so cute. Laura got me this big blow up palm tree. It was awesome. So anyway, it was really fun. But in, in different luau's that we've had over the years, we've had them by pools. We've had them by lakes. We've gone swimming. We have done the limbo. We've done all kinds of silly stuff. We've had poi eating contests with pudding not poi. But anyway, so we've had a blast having luau's. And Victorian teas are my very favorite. They're so fun. And I love the delicate china teacups and having, you know, the formal tea and you put the sandwiches on the bottom and then the scones and then the, or is it the scones on the bottom and the sandwiches in the middle? I know the desserts are on top and they're yum, yum, yum. So, but those are just some different parties, history parties that we've thrown and enjoyed and our kids have loved them and they've really been highlights of our homeschooling experience. So when you get back, so teens and parents, I'm going to talk about, well, can you pull them off without tearing your hair out? Yes, you can. So anyway, when you get back, we'll talk about it and um, we're going to have a break from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Now that I'm a grandfather, I love seeing my son pass on a godly heritage to his sons. Part of that godly heritage is learning about Christian heroes who have surrendered to Jesus and impacted the world around them. Celebrate Our Christian Heroes will equip you to teach your children about Christian heroes in a creative way by having a Heroes for Jesus party. You can purchase Celebrate Our Christian Heroes at Amazon.com. The e-books are available at Kirklick.com and our website. To learn more about or purchase Celebrate Our Christian Heroes, Please visit our website, powerlineprod.com. That's P-O-W-E-R-L-I-N-E-P-R-O-D.com. And don't forget to inspire your children to greatness. Powerline Productions, being world changers, raising world changers. You've been listening to Finish Well Radio on the Ultimate Radio Network. Now, back to your host, Meredith Curtis. Hi, welcome back. We are talking about learning history by throwing a party. And so one of the things about having a history party is you have to plan it. And I talked about how the research is really an opportunity to learn so much about history. But there's also logistical planning. And so I'm going to just list some of the things that we've had to do. If you want this list, it's in my show notes. 
and this is episode 73, Learning History by Throwing a Party. Anyway, so the first thing is you have to plan the time and the day. And that's significant because you don't want to have a luau at night, usually. I mean, you want to, if you're having it at a pool or something, unless there's a lot of light there. If you're having something at a park, if you're like, we did our medieval banquet outside because in medieval times, dogs were there. And so we wanted to have it be authentic and we didn't want to bring dogs into like the church fellowship hall or something like that. So we had it in a, the same field where we had the archaeological dig, <laughs> but we had closed up the hole. Then, so you want to choose the time and the day. So what's a good day for everyone to come? Is it just going to be homeschoolers and moms or do you want dads to come? We usually plan our events on a weekend so that the dads can be part of it. And the dads really love it. Like they got super competitive in the Olympic Games. And then you choose a location and you have to keep in mind how many people will be coming and the weather if it's outside. So in Florida, it, it tends in the summer to rain late afternoon, not always, but for the most part. And so like if we wanted to plan something outside at three or four o'clock, it would probably not be the best idea. But if we wanted to plan it earlier or maybe a little bit later after the rain, that might be a better idea. Or if we planned it so it went through the rainy part, because in Florida it will rain and then it will be over and the sun will come back out. So we, as long as there's a place where we could all take cover, then that could still work. So we have a lot of really beautiful parks. We have used our church fellowship hall. We have used, my friend Laura has a huge field by her house, and we've done a lot of parties in that field. We have used people's homes. We had an international picnic. That's geography, I know, but so was lots and lots of fun. And we had that, we set up displays in her house, and then we served the food like on her porch, and then like there were games and stuff outside, so it was really fun. So we've used a lot of different locations. We had a friend who lived on a lake, and so we would set up the food in her porch. And then she had just a really neat house for entertaining, and then it was right on the lake, and so we could go swimming. Now, what's interesting is that you're probably thinking, what, you go swimming in lakes in Florida with the alligators? Oh, I don't think about that when I'm swimming. <laughs> um, okay, so then we always plan outfits because it's fun to dress up. And we actually have had luau's so often that we have like a whole collection of different Hawaiian outfits that we can wear. And um, <laughs> we'll we'll show up to these events in, in different ones. Like, you know, one time I'll wear something and then a few years later, Juliana will wear it. And so it's it's pretty fun. Planning decorations and decorations don't have to be super, super involved. They can be really simple. If you get a brightly colored surfboard and you have some lays and everyone wears lays and you have some shells and some things like that, you're pretty set up for a luau. When we did the medieval banquet, we set up a head table with a canopy over it for the king and queen. And then we had a long line of tables on the side. And then we used wooden bowls and stuff. And we did fancy for the head tables and then it got less and less fancy as the tables went down so that was you know pretty simple like we didn't do much more decorating than that and that so it just depends on what you're doing planning activities you have to decide what you're going to do for instance at the medieval banquet 
we had a jester who someone dressed up as a clown and they did like a little bit of you know, being hamming it up, being funny, but mostly we just ate. And then afterwards, whoever wanted to do the jousting with the pool noodles, they did the jousting. But then when we had the sock hop, we had dancing, we had a hula hoop contest, we had a goldfish eating contest, which actually got curtailed because someone was horrified. Um, <laughs> oh, you probably think I'm terrible, but it wasn't my idea. That was my husband's. So, then you have to create a flexible timeline. And I say a flexible timeline because things always happen that you don't expect. But a flexible timeline means that you're going from one thing to the next to the next. And people can kind of count on, okay, this is going to last about two hours or three hours. And then after that, people can start leaving and going home. So anyway, we would do that. We would have a flexible timeline just kind of some backup plans if things didn't go well. And that that has worked really well over the years to just keep things moving so they don't get boring. Also, you need to plan a menu. And I always like to have two people in charge, one person in charge of the planning and one person in charge of the flow of the event. There are people who are really good at making sure everything is done. My friend Patty is such a behind-the-scenes person. She is so organized and so orderly, and she just gets things done, boom, 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 boom. But she doesn't like to stand up in front of a crowd and say, do this, do this, don't do this, you know, it's time to do this. But yet Zach, he's not a real planning person. This is my son-in-law, but he loves to get in front of the crowd and say, okay, now we're doing the limbo. Come on, everyone. Come on, come on. So he's perfect for that. So I always put someone in charge of the actual day and give them a timeline, and they just keep things going. So those are the things you have to do, and don't feel overwhelmed, because it's not something that you just plan, like, okay, we're going to do this next week, but we usually plan it well ahead. So there's just little things that need to be done, and we've done it so much that Laura and I have, like, protocols they're not protocols, but like directions almost. And we've actually published some of those. We've published how to have your own medieval banquet, how to have your own archaeological dig, how to have your own Olympic games, because we've just written out handouts and we just hand them to people. And so we added some other things to them. So if you want to do that, you can get your feet wet with those. But it's really not that hard to as long as you know, okay, these are the things I have to plan. And then one thing that makes it work for us is that we delegate where we can delegate. So this is what, if I'm in charge of an event, say I'm in charge of the luau, I put one person in charge of the flow of event. It'll be someone like my husband or Zach, someone who is really good about, you know, getting everyone's attention and keeping things going and, and comfortable in front of a group. And then I put one person in charge of setup and decorating. So that person, if we're having a medieval banquet, they would set up all the tables. They would set all the tables after they're set up. Um, they would, if they were having a Victorian tea, they would do all the decorating. They would get all the china, put it out, get everything ready. And then I would have one person in charge of tear down and clean up. And then I always ask everyone to help clean up. But one person in charge, and that person has to be like someone who'll say, okay, it's time to clean up. Stop talking. Let's clean up. You know, they have to kind of be a take charge person. And then I always put someone in charge of the menu and the sign up because food I mean, to men and boys especially, food is a big deal. So food is a lot of times the highlight of the event, especially if you're doing like an international picnic or a luau. 
And we have just tasted at some of these events, we've tasted some really amazing, amazing food. Have everyone pitch in. You can borrow decorations. Like a lot of times, we don't have to go out and buy stuff. We used wooden salad bowls for our medieval banquet. So we were able, just within about three moms, we had enough salad bowls. Because I had two sets, and another woman had two sets. And so we just gathered all the wooden salad bowls, and we were set. And then we always have everyone who comes bring food. And people sign up ahead. And sometimes, sometimes we'll just make a list of what is needed to come. And then people just sign up to bring stuff. And we also, if everyone helps set up and clean up, it goes much quicker. That's, of course, a given. Uh, Many hands make lighter work, what your grandma used to always say. But we've had so much fun working together and doing these things and really making memories together. Be sure that you have someone take lots of pictures because we have so many memories and so many cute pictures. And, And some people go really all out, like... Angelo came to the medieval banquet in armor. It was adorable. He was so cute. And so it's really been, it's really been fun to learn history by having a party. And when we have a party, we invite everyone. We invite the singles. We invite young couples with no children because they enjoy that kind of stuff. And and we don't make it like, oh, this is a little school thing. We make it like a really cool thing that people want to come to. And like I said, the dads love it. It's a great way for dads to appreciate homeschool, especially if the food is super good. And something to remember is that we all have an imagination. You're created in the image of God, and God is a creator, so you are creative in some way. And so sometimes my creations don't always go well. So what happened was for our medieval banquet, they served like a wild boar or something. But I thought, oh, that would be super cool to do. I would love to do that. So... I looked into the prices of buying roasting a pig, and we just couldn't afford it. So I had this brilliant idea. I will make a huge meatloaf, and it will be, I'll make it look like a pig. And so I had a couple people help me, and we put our meatloafs together. It did not look like a pig. If you ever saw an old TV show called ALF, it looked just like ALF. It was so <laughs> it looked like Alf with a, with an apple and in its mouth. It was so embarrassing. And then it was so funny because the two guys who brought it out were dressed as hunchbacks. And so it was just like the anyway, it was hilarious. I could not stop laughing. Um but even though the meatloaf pig was a failure, I just said to everyone put on your imagination and pretend it looks like a pig. (laughs) And we had so much fun and we've made so many memories. So I just want to encourage you. One thing I love about homeschooling is learning together, reading out loud together, discovering things together, being excited about the world God created and what's happened and how he's been involved in the events. But it's so fun to sit back and celebrate. It's so fun to sit back and throw a party. It's so fun to dress up and have a good time and realize that we're making memories along the way and take a bunch of crazy pictures. And I always try to have like one spot that's really good for photos. So anyway, whatever you do, I'm not saying you have to go out and throw a big thing, but just think maybe 
you're studying the 1800s, you could stop and have a tea party or just something small. I hope this has encouraged you and gotten you thinking creatively. And until next time, God bless you. And thank you so much for being here today. I hope that your home is filled with peace and joy. Good night. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Radio with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Radio Network.